as well. I'm going to invite you to stand with me one more time as we look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we are, as is custom, reading verses from the beginning, verse 1 down through verse 5, which is the third beatitude. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you, and you may be seated. Verse 6, Lord willing, by the way, is where we will actually pick up uh, the Sunday after Brother Breck is here on the 11th. Uh, we should be prepared to uh, go to verse 6, which is the fourth beatitude on February the 18th. In our introduction last week, we actually uh, made a, a read a quote from the Blue Letter Bible, and I would like to do that again this morning. Meekness toward God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good without disputing or resisting. In the Old Testament, the meek are those wholly relying on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. Thus, meekness toward evil people means knowing that God is permitting the injuries they inflict that he is using them to purify his elect and that he will deliver his elect in his time. Gentleness or meekness is the opposite to self-assertiveness and self-interest. It stems from trust in God's goodness and control over the situation. The gentle person is not occupied with self at all. This is work of the Holy Spirit, not of the human will. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, in the day and age in which we live, the world does not want people who are meek, who are gentle of spirit. The world wants people who are self-assertive, who think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, who work only with one purpose, and that is to build up their own self-esteem, to love themselves, and yet this is not a biblical pattern or principle. As we look at this third beatitude that we are one day to inherit the earth, may our hearts be encouraged as we realize again what your word has to say to us and what is necessary for us to do. Not just to be listeners, not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers as well. There are times that we don't like to be doers, though. We don't mind hearing the message as long as it's not too hard. But sometimes, Lord, we just need to have our toes stepped on. Sometimes we need to be willing to simply say, Holy Spirit, do your work. Crush me so that others will see only Jesus Christ in me, the hope of glory. So as we ponder this verse in verse 5, once again today, may you be glorified. We thank you for the music that has been played and for the hymns, for the new hymn that we are learning. 
pray that as we learn these new hymns as well as sing the old hymns of the faith, that our hearts would be encouraged knowing that you have given us the ability to be able to sing, to be able to hear these words that others have written, speaking to the glory, the supremacy, the sovereignty of our great God. Father, we ask you this morning that you would forgive each one of us of our sins. Help us to be willing to look within our own lives as David prayed in Psalm 51 and help us to realize that when we sin, it is against you and you only that we sin. So cleanse our hearts. Renew the spirit of joy within us that comes from our salvation, knowing that we are a forgiven people if our faith is in you. And if there is somebody who is listening this morning online or here in the auditorium, that if they have never placed their faith in you, may they understand that today is the day of salvation, for we are not guaranteed tomorrow. I ask, Lord, that you would give me the words to say, grant wisdom and grant ears to hear with understanding to each person who hears this message. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We, one of the verses that we considered last week in light of the introduction that we gave is from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. By the way, that, that's another one of those things that it's like psalms. If you're dealing with one psalm, you call it psalm, not psalms. Uh, when we deal with Revelation, it's not the book of Revelations, it's the book of Revelation. Well, it's the same with the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we read what the fruit of the Spirit is. And it is love, joy. There are nine aspects of this fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, which is the same word that we get this word for meek or gentle in spirit and self-control or temperance against such things there is no law. Now, you and I don't have a choice in obtaining the fruit of the Spirit. We can't say, well, I've got the love part down, and I've got maybe the joy part down, but I don't like some of the other parts. I don't like the self-control. Or, or I, I, I don't like the faithfulness part or the kindness. No, you and I as believers don't have a choice when we receive the Holy Spirit who is given to us as Ephesians chapter 4 says, as a down payment of our inheritance that we are going to gain one day when we transition from this life into being with the Lord Jesus Christ for all of eternity. The things that are found here in the fruit of the Spirit is simply a reflection. You could read it like this. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And it is these things that we find here. Again, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Now, some of us may struggle with patience, for example. If you've ever read James chapter 1, we find if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and he gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Or we find here that, that if we want wisdom, it's going to come through trials. The Christian life is not meant to be easy. It's meant, to, it's meant to work on our every part of our being, our heart, our soul, our mind, so that we will become more like Jesus Christ. Now, 
I know that each one of us struggle in various aspects of our life. It doesn't matter what it is that you are going through. The Bible is clear that these things, if you love God, we looked at this yesterday, if you love God, all things work together for the good for those who, number one, love God. Romans 8, 28. But there's another part of that, and it's to those who keep his commandments. You see, you cannot say you love God if you do not obey his commands. And the scripture makes it clear that the commands of God are not meant to be grievous or burdensome, but they are meant to be able to guide us, to be able to keep us in the right path. As our children grow up, we often give them rules, and there may be things that they have to do, maybe chores that they have to accomplish throughout the week. You know, if they want to get to the end of the week and they want to watch a movie or something, or they want to go get ice cream or, or go to McDonald's or whatever it may be, what do you tell your kids? You have to do your chores. chores. Ah, some of you have heard this before. You have to do your chores. And if you get to the end of the week and you say, okay, is your room clean? Uh-huh. Shall I go down and take a look in your room? Uh-uh. But they still want the privilege without having to worry about the responsibility. And it's no different in the Christian life. You, you see, God has given us his word, and there are multiple illustrations beginning right in the book of Genesis, going all the way through Revelation, and we are told repeatedly about how we are to live our life. And the rules that are given, they're, they're not just meant to not be burdensome, but they are to keep us on the straight and narrow. Now, some of you have served in the military. Every one of you here, for those who are adults, have, have served in some kind of aspect of, of, of the work environment or the workplace or whatever career it is that you have chosen. You can't just go in and set the rules yourself. When you go into a workplace, there's normally a set of rules or a handbook that is given to you, and you're expected to do what? Follow the rules. If you go in, and, and, and for example, one of the first jobs that I ever had, I was a typist. My mom made sure that I could type. And so I decided, well, if I can type, I might as well use that to be able to make some money. So I did. I used to type term papers for my fellow students in the dorm, and I made some money off of it because they couldn't type and I could. But there's a certain pattern. You, you can't sit there and make any money if this is all you can do. On the keyboard... And there are rules that were applied when we went through typing class to be able to know how many times, and, and you have to practice over and over and over. I used to hate the ones with the little pinkies, you know, the, the ones where you have to get all the way up to the one. So I kind of cheated a little bit on some of those until I learned them better. Some of you are smiling. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But there are rules that are in place. When you go down the road, how many of you would like to have driven to church today if there were no rules on the road? Brother Gabe will talk later. Start counseling tomorrow morning, 8.30. Exactly. Well, I, to help her. If there were no rules on the road, I wouldn't want to get there. We were actually driving back from Denver last night, and the snow and the ice, it was, I-25 was horrible. I don't know if anybody else had to get out in that, but it was, it was a sheet of ice out there. We were only going maybe... 20, sometimes 10, 15 miles an hour, and we were all over the road, just like everybody else was. And then we see these lights coming, and they just zoom by on the other direction, and it's a trucker. 
and he had to have been doing 55, 60 miles an hour or more despite the fact that there were probably a dozen accidents between here and Wellington. Now, there are rules that are on the road and they are there to be able to protect you. And when our children are growing up, the purpose for us giving the rules and telling them, no, this is the way you clean your room. No, this is the way you do this. This is the way you do that. It's to be able to prepare them for the rest of life. Young people, listen to me. You think you've got a lot of rules now, wait till you get older because there is a lot more. My daughter is smiling because she is actually now taking driving lessons and she realizes that the rules that we had in the home, they might have fit on one page, but now she's got an entire Department of Motor Vehicle Guide and it's a book. And she has to learn all of those rules just like you and I did, but most of us don't practice them anymore. But here's the problem. If we go through life thinking that there are no rules or we can make up our own rules, you're going to come to the word of God and you're going to struggle with a sovereign God who gives the command and says, be ye holy for I am holy. That's what we're called to do. And to be holy means that we have to put into practice sometimes the things that we don't want to do. And it requires crucifying self daily. Being meek does not mean to endorse the sin or the lifestyle of any who are living in opposition to the word of God. We shared this prior, and, but we cannot be friends with those who claim Christ but do not love God or follow his commands. By not saying anything to those who are sinning against God and to his church, we endorse the sin through silence and we stand opposed to our commitment as a member. It would be no different if, if you knew a friend who was cheating on their spouse and yet you said nothing because you want to remain friends with them. You cannot pretend that nothing is happening because, well, it doesn't affect me. In addressing others' sins, and we've already looked at addressing our own sins, but in addressing the sins of others, we must be meek or humble. This means being willing to submit to God and to his word. Do you remember the account in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians were both written with one purpose in mind. And that was biblical restoration. You've got an entire book of a church that is doing everything that they could do wrong, possibly doing wrong. They were doing it. They were allowing sin. They were, they were partaking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. There were even some of them who had even died because they were doing it in an unworthy manner. But 2 Corinthians, we find that there's a little bit different perspective, and that is now these individuals are doing what? They have actually sought for forgiveness, and the church has refused to forgive them. They're keeping them at arm's length. That is not what, when we talk about discipline, for example, church discipline really is a five-step process that begins firstly and foremost with you and the person that you're looking at in the mirror. Because personal discipline, if there was more personal discipline in our lives, most of us would never even have to see or worry about the second or third or fourth or fifth step of discipline. But every one of the steps that, we, that are performed within discipline are done with one purpose. I know that we have talked about this in one of our classes, but I don't think that I've actually mentioned this in a morning service. But there's a term called excommunication. 
And it is often found in many denominations, particularly both in Protestant and Catholic denominations and, and even other denominations. Some of you may have heard of the shunning uh, that takes place, for example, with the Amish or the Mennonites. And the purpose is to remove the troublesome person, to be able to get rid of them, to get them out of your life so that they won't cause any more problems. That is not biblical discipline. Biblical discipline is for one purpose, and that is for you and I to be restored in fellowship with one another and with God. That's what discipline is for. But we don't like that aspect, and so often, instead of being reconciled with one another, we'll just make up stuff. We'll, we'll change the rules that God has given to us. So instead of being reconciled, the easiest answer in today's society is well, there's 12 other Baptist churches in town. We'll just move. We'll just leave if we don't like the rules here. We'll go somewhere else. And when we don't like the rules there, we'll go somewhere else. That's not the purpose of the Word of God. Studying the Word of God says we are to unite with one another, to be in unity, to be in harmony, to be in love with one another. Many of you have received letters from me and, and even sometimes when, when I send out letters, or, or I used to, I'd have to actually take a look at the way that I sign them now, but it used to be that I signed every single letter that I ever sent out. didn't matter who it went to. I would sign, in Christian love and grace. You know why? Because that is what my desire is, is to love you like Christ loved me. That requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice on your part to be able to love me like that. It requires the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were looking at some things yesterday or in the men's meeting on Thursday and, and some of the things that we covered, it's just amazing watching what God is doing in the lives of our men. I, I get to hear a little, bit of a, 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 a little bit of a blip, if you will, from Violet when she comes back from the ladies' meeting and she's encouraged about the things that they're coming, going over in the ladies' meeting and the changes that she is seeing as well. I can tell you this, most pastors would give their right arm to have what we have here at Yellowstone. I am thankful. I am thankful for each one of you, the parts that you all play. You know, even just coming and showing up on a Sunday is of great encouragement to everybody else. Because when you come and you sit here, you're saying, you know, I am willing to come here. And even though I may be having a bad week, bad day, bad month, bad whatever it may be, I am coming here to hear the word of God. And over time, you learn how to be an encouragement to one another. If there are concerns with the truths that we find in God's word, what we are actually failing to do is to see the holiness of God. You see that these commands that we find, these beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, these are not a multiple choice. These are not pick the ones that you like and dump the rest. In our day and age, in this culture, if it doesn't fit our culture, if it doesn't fit our society, then we'll just get rid of it because most people in today's society will tell you that there are no absolutes. There are absolutes. There is an absolute truth, and that truth begins and ends with God. God is truth. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. My friends, this morning, I, I want you to understand that God doesn't change his mind on sin. 
He never has. He never will. The same sins that he punished all the way back when Adam and Eve were living in the garden and it was simply rebellion. It was listening to the devil saying, does God really mean that? Did he really say that? It's the oldest question in the book. It's the oldest question in human history. We still find it today. I don't know that God really means that, does he? Or maybe it applies to everybody else, just not me. God will never change his mind regardless of what society approves or what the law supports. God's law will always be in date. And for true believers, we must obey God rather than man. Amen? Yet, we are to do so in a way that remembers that God calls us to be meek to others. We are not where we are at, even as a believer, a body of believers here. If you're a believer here this morning, you are here because we are the church. This building, this isn't the church. When we say we go to church, we use the word, but we use it incorrectly because we're not going to church. We're going to a, be a building where the church meets. Sometimes being meek and gentle from the word of God means reminding ourselves that if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would be able to commit the same sins the heathen do. We don't stand here to condemn, but to warn in, of, in love of sin and righteousness and the coming judgment. When you have people like John the Baptist who, who stood up to the leaders of the day and he said, not only is that a, not a biblical marriage, but what you are doing is gross sin against God. What happened to John the Baptist? He lost his head. And it's no different. It doesn't matter, and I shared this the other day, it doesn't matter whether every nation in the world approves of things like abortion or the LGBTQ agenda, it will never make it right. They can pass all the laws that they want to, but it's not going to change what God sees as sin, as an abomination. And you know what is sad is, is the reason that the church is in the state that it is in today, I believe, is because as, as we've been reading different books and, and, and listening to some of the, the preachers and the men and, uh, of the reformers and, and the Puritans of days and centuries past, you know, they had the exact same problems that we do. Sin that inhabited the church, and, and instead of confessing that, we just made up excuses. For those of you who are very good at dates, do, do you recall when the last Great Awakening was? Anybody? Over 200 years ago in America. Over 200 years since we have had a Great Awakening in our nation. And you can go into churches, even here in Cheyenne, that will tell you that sin is acceptable. I can tell you that if that's what you're looking for, you won't find it here. So let's look briefly at this third beatitude in a little more depth. We want to define the word. Again, the word meek to often be translated as gentle or mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit or meekness. We mentioned this verse last week, Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 to 30. Take my yoke upon you, says Jesus, and learn of me. 
I am gentle. I am lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a gracious God we serve. We have often spoken and shared with multiple people down through the years. We often look at scripture, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says that there is no temptation taking you, but such is this common demand. And so we think that, that God won't give us more than what we can actually handle. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we get way past the end of ourselves and we realize that we have to turn everything over to God and trust him with the results. I know how hard that is. You see, as humans, we like to think that we are self-made individuals. We like to think that we can lift ourselves up by the bootstraps. We can't. You see, if it wasn't for the grace of God, you wouldn't even be, you wouldn't even be here today. You wouldn't have even taken a breath. You would have died in your sleep last night. Psalm 37, 11 says, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Isn't that, doesn't it seem like that's what the world wants? Peace, or so they say, world peace. We have deterrence, we have, we have nuclear weapons, we have submarines, we have aircraft carriers, we have, we have missiles, we have all kinds of things to be able to keep the peace, as we say, but yet those things don't bring peace. We've got conflicts going on all over the world. If we didn't, we wouldn't have need for our military. But our military are there for the purposes of, of hopefully being able to one day, as we say, see peace in the entire world. But I can tell you that there will be no peace until the Prince of Peace comes. So this is the word that we're dealing with here. One who is gentle, mildness of disposition. Do you have a mild disposition and how you're dealing with whatever it is that you're going through in your life? Or is your first resort to get angry, to get upset, to let things annoy you and get under your skin? Now, I'm going to tell on myself here, okay? I'm pretty sure that there's a demon that lives in that board back there. And it has nothing to do with the people who are operating that board. And I can tell you, and my boys have heard it, that it irritates me because I want the service to flow smoothly. And, 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 and my dad knows this. It's difficult when things don't come together. It's difficult when you stand up and if you're the kind of person, maybe you were in a church where they sang specials and you get up there and, and you forget your notes. Listen, uh, it was only about a year ago that I got up here, opened my Bible, and realized that my notes were still sitting on my printer. And it's like, mm, got to send somebody in there to go get my notes so that I can actually preach what God has prepared my heart for. But I want you to think about the relationship that you have within your own family, with your spouse, with your children, with your grandchildren, with, with your neighbor, with your coworker, with whoever it may be. Do you have a quiet, gentle spirit that says, Lord, you're in control? Let me remind you of part of what we read at the very beginning. Meekness toward evil people means knowing God is permitting the injuries they inflict. That he is using them to purify his elect and that he will deliver his elect in his time. You see, it's easy to 
try to live in such a way that we think that we're in control. But we're not. And living with a meek and quiet spirit is probably one of the most difficult aspects that I have found within my own life down through the years of my ministry and of my Christian walk. Because when people upset us, we want our rights. We want to exercise what we think belongs to us, and yet that's not the way the Bible sees it. You say, well, I'm not so sure about that. Well, let me give you an example. Let me remind you of the greatest person who was ever meek in the entire world, and that was Jesus Christ. This is the God of the entire universe who was willing to lay aside his glory. He was willing to lay aside everything that he had in heaven to be able to come down for the likes of you and me and die on a cross as a criminal. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 53, he didn't even open his mouth. That's a pretty meek, gentle spirit. We find another example in your in your notes there, the first one defining the word. The second one is the meekness of Moses. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. The man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. You know, if anybody had a right to complain about his treatment, it certainly would have been Moses. I mean, think about all the things he had to deal with. I mean, he had to deal with, who knows, scholars believe it could have been anywhere from a million and a half to four or five million Jews coming out of Egypt going up to the promised land, and had he known that most of them would be dead over the next 40 years, he probably, probably wouldn't have even wanted to do that. And it's not just the children of Israel who are complaining, though. It is actually his own family members, Miriam and Aaron. God in his providence shows that Moses was willing to take it on the chin. And just as with Moses, we are also called to be meek or gentle towards those who treat us spitefully. Again, this is not easy, but this is where the rubber meets the road. You see, God is calling us, he calls us to not just treat them with respect, but we are also to love our enemies. And we can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within our hearts. This is actually the word that is used here, that he was very meek more than all the people. This, this is actually a great superlative in the Hebrew. He is not just meek. He is very exceptionally meek. And it's interesting that God in his providence through the work of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration says it wasn't just among the Israelites, but it was among the people of the entire earth that he was a meek individual. This is the same guy, by the way, who if him and God would have gotten on the same page about destroying the children of Israel on the exact same day at the exact same hour would have probably killed them all. But this wasn't a private matter for the sin had been committed openly. And if you remember the account, if you have read it from Numbers chapter 12, you know that Miriam is actually given leprosy. She's actually had to be locked out of the camp. And again, this is for the public rebuke of what she has done to her own brother. And, 
And it wasn't just because she didn't like him or was having a bad day. She was actually questioning God. She was actually saying, yes, you are the spokesperson. You are the prophet of God. You are the one who is leading, but I'm not content because you think you're better than me. I'll leave it to you to look at Numbers chapter 12 to find out what the end of this story is for that. But God in his grace forgave. And the children of Israel moved on. I want to go back thirdly and look at the meekness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you what 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 1 says. I, Paul, myself, I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ... I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. The, the, the Legacy Standard Bible actually translates this as lowly. Some of you have to put out a resume. For example, when you get out of the military, they help you to be able to put a resume together so hopefully you can get some kind of work on the outside. How would you like to fill out your resume and after all of the letters and the designations and the awards that you've got put, I am lowly. I am meek. I am gentle. You see, that's what the Bible requires from us. The question we look at this situation or as we look at this command must be, how would Jesus handle this when dealing with sin? In my life first, in your life, as you look at yourself in the mirror, he has just said that a person is blessed in verse 4 when they mourn over their own sin and the sin of others. Again, what does this discipline look like? It looks like somebody who is willing to see revival in their heart. Revival is simply God taking his Holy Spirit and changing you. You should be looking more like Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should look more like him today than you did a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. You should have a desire to be more like him tomorrow than you are today. That's really what discipline is about. Discipline is, is being willing, for example, uh, uh, you probably wouldn't know this, but I'm not built to be a, an Olympic swimmer. I don't have the physique, I don't have, I don't have the fortitude to be able to do those things, and besides, I don't like water. I don't like getting in over my head. I will never be an Olympic swimmer, but if I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer, it reminds me of, I think it was Paderewski who actually stated somebody came up to him one time. He's a piano player. Anybody know the name? No? You even like music. And he stated, or this lady asked him, she says, oh, I would love to be able to play like you. And he said, no, madam, you wouldn't. Because if you did, you'd be practicing as much as I do, and then you would play like me. You see, any aspect of the life of a disciplined life that we must have, we have to have discipline. It requires us to sweat. It requires change in our heart and in our lives. It, it, it requires us to look and then to talk with others and say, do I look more like Jesus Christ to you today than I did yesterday or last year, last week? Husbands, wives, if, if, if you and I are responding to our wives or to our husbands in the same way that we did 10 years ago, something is not right. 
Now, there is no call uh, to overlook the sin. We, we have been talking about this in, in, in our Thursday night class, especially when it comes up in the world. But we are responsible for where we are at right here at Yellowstone. Listen to what John Owen stated. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. For us to be meek like the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be willing, as Dad was sharing this morning, it, when the, in the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4, when the evil one came to him, how did he overcome that temptation? Of course, we know he was God, but he did so by quoting Scripture. If you and I find no condemnation in what God calls sin, then you're just confirming it. Romans 1 makes it clear that, that it's not just those who are sinning who will enter heaven in a particular sin, whatever it may be, but he says those who also endorse or confirm that sin. You know, I was quite taken back, a rebuke, if you will, a, a light rebuke from my dad, a friend of his, Pastor Rick Stuckey down in Georgia, and he made a comment. My dad may not even remember him having said this. But his comment was this. Why are we hearing from people from all kinds of different denominations about different sins, about whatever, and yet the Baptist pastors are mostly silent? Shame on us. Shame on me. If there are things that I am willing to endorse or, or even give tacit approval to, the Bible is clear that I also stand condemned unless I am in the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit will change what it is that I need to change. You see, there are no innocent bystanders when it comes to sin. You stand with Christ or you stand with the world. And this is why a church that does not practice discipline is no true church at all. Did you catch that? A church that does not practice discipline is no true church at all. And again, this is not about kicking people out. This isn't about the numbers that are in the chairs or in the pews. This, this is about being able to share the word of God and knowing that people's lives are changed. Listen, we all have bad days, bad weeks, bad months, bad years, sometimes bad decades. The question is, when we come out at the other end, though, are we following Christ? The question would be, do you have a desire to finish well when you come to the end of life's road? Do you have a desire to hear the Lord Jesus Christ say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? You've been faithful in the small things. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. However, in not overlooking sin, we must be careful. We were talking about this downstairs earlier. It's, it's not a call to eternal judgment. Just because somebody is involved in a certain sin, there are times that we as Christians, even in, even in churches, we... We are quick to, to cast judgment. We are quick to cast stones without, or and often forgetting that we have often been caught up in the exact same things at one point or another. 
Ultimately, I and you are not the final judge, jury, and executioner. God is. He's the one that is responsible. Now, we can be a fruit inspector. We can look at a person and say by their life that there is nothing there that is of evidence, but that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is not working in their heart or mind. There does come a time that we treat the offender, though, as an unbeliever, and that is if there is no repentance. But again, uh, we were hearing this, and, and, and we went over this a little bit in the prayer room this morning. We still pray and present the gospel to every person who is not living as Christ demands from them. And I want you to note that condoning sin does not show love. It's not love to overlook sin. It's not love to disobey, or it's not love to obey, I should say, God's command in regards to how we deal with sin. If you're not willing to address a sinful matter with others, it's probably because you're not willing to address a sinful matter in your own life or mine. If we're not willing to address a sinful matter, what we're actually stating is that God is not always right. What we're saying is that Christ was wrong when he commands us to judge according to righteous judgment. The world wants us to overlook a lot of things. It wants us to be able to condone sin. It, it wants us to be able to condone the culture and the lifestyle and, and, and the debauched things that are going on in this life. And yet God still stands and he says, my word is true. Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 13 Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. The world will change. The world will get farther and farther away from God and his word. So my encouragement to you this morning is in the sin that is in your own life, be killing sin, as John Owen said, or it will be killing you. I don't know your heart, I don't know your life, but I can tell you that God does, and he sees all things. And because he sees all things, we have to be willing to let him be the arbiter, if you will, of the things that go on in our life, and when the Holy Spirit comes to us and he puts his finger on something, and, and he says, you know, this is, this is what you heard from God's word today, and, and, and this, is, this is truth. It's not up to the pastor to obey it. It's up to you to listen, to be a doer of the word. Every message that I preach, I have already had to work through with God before I can preach it to you. Some people may think that, well, the pastor just stays up late into the night just to find some way to be able to pick on us. No, that's not what the... That's not what preaching is about. Preaching is, is opening up God's word, showing you what he says and how you can apply it to your life to be more like him. Meekness is not weakness. The key is love. 
but be firm. It doesn't matter whether it's you or somebody else. You, you want people to be gentle and meek with you. Be gentle and meek with others. If you can't do that, ask God to give you the ability to be able to do that. To love in a way that only comes from the Holy Spirit. You see, we, we talk about 1 Corinthians 13. Everybody loves 1 Corinthians 13. The greatest of these is love. But do we actually really love that way? Do we really love in such a way that it is sacrificial? I'm reminded of the account of the soldiers who, during Roman times, in the northern part of the Roman Empire, were standing on the shores of a frozen lake. The commanding officer found that there were a number of, their, of the soldiers who had come to faith in Christ. And they were seeking to proselytize. They were seeking to tell others within the camp and within their battalion about Jesus Christ. And the account is given that these soldiers, there were a hundred of them, and they were told to strip down and go and stand on the ice. And as they stood on the ice, they began singing a song, and they all began singing together. One hundred soldiers for Jesus Christ, standing for his name, we will be willing to die for you. The commander became quite enraged. He ordered a fire to be stoked on the shores, and clothing was there and blankets, and he told them, he said, if you would just recant this Jesus Christ that you claim, you can be warmed. You can have your rank back. We'll give you food and sustenance. And resolutely, these soldiers stood there on the ice, freezing slowly to death, singing their song. One of the men finally caved, and he comes ashore, and they actually give him the food that they promised and the blankets and the clothing and one of the captains within this Roman battalion listens to these men out there and they change their song. And they begin singing 99 soldiers standing on the ice. It is said that the commander or this captain so touched by what he had heard, willing to die with them, takes off all of his garments and goes out there and stands on the ice with them. And again, they begin singing, 100 soldiers standing on the ice. You see, this was a man, and the account records that all 100 of those soldiers froze to death on the ice. And they were left there to rot, all for Jesus Christ. You see, God is not calling you and I to stand on the ice today. He's calling us to be meek, to be gentle, to listen to the words of the Beatitudes, to be comforted when we confess our sins. And you may be thinking this morning, you know, that would be pretty difficult to do. I, I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that I have that kind of faith. You know, I'm sure those soldiers probably didn't think that they had that kind of faith until it was time to die for Christ. But I want to share something with you. 
you will never be willing to die for Christ and give your life if you're not willing to do it right where you're at right now. Are you willing to give up everything for Christ? He gave up everything for you, for me. This is why I share the hard things that I do because I know the Christian life is not easy. And I'm not asking you, Dad and Brother Jeff as, as the other elders here, we're not asking you, the, the Sunday school teachers downstairs, Brother Gabe and Brother Ryan and, and Sister Jasmine and, and, and Sister Katie, they're not asking the young people and we're not asking you to do something that God doesn't require from us first. A meek person is not a weak person. It would have taken a great deal of strength for that Roman captain to be able to lay aside everything and walk out onto that ice knowing he was going to die for Christ. A meek person is not wishy-washy. They're not effeminate. They're not timid. He's not somebody that you can walk all over. He's not passive. He's not spineless. In fact, a meek man is just the opposite. The one who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be meek before God. He will be mighty and bold before the world and before Satan. We learned that this morning from James chapter 4. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And a meek person will inherit the earth. A meek person are those who have placed their faith in God. The world's not going to get better. It's not a utopia. We're not going to see paradise here on earth until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and it says that he will bring, when he comes back, he will bring those who have gone on before us. He will bring them with him. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But when he comes back, the Bible is clear that he will establish a new heaven and a new earth. And it will only be those who love Jesus who will be there. Psalm or Isaiah 61 verse 7 says, Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have, listen to these words, everlasting joy. This is the reality of being meek. Your happiness, your joy, it may not come in this life, but it will be in the life to come. Those who learn this biblical characteristic are only gentle and meek, as I shared before, because of the indwelling spirit of God. The inheritance that is spoken of here literally means to partake of eternal salvation in the Messiah's kingdom. You see, the problem with, with the Jews was they, they thought that the Messiah was going to come and establish an earthly kingdom, get rid of those nasty Romans. No. Jesus Christ came to die. But he is coming back as a lion. In fact, John chapter 6, verse 15 says, Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. One day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And all who truly believe will reign with him. What a glorious day that will be. The Bible is clear that 
when he comes back, he will find a bride who has made herself ready. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, you can't go on pretending that you don't have to change, you don't have to be careful of your sin and still call yourself a believer. Because the Bible knows of no such thing. The Bible says that we repent of our sins. The Holy Spirit brings us to conviction and he changes us. And my question to you this morning is, have you been changed? Have I been changed? I mentioned this yesterday. Do you want to know if you're changing? Do you want to know if you reflect the Lord Jesus Christ? Talk to another church member. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your children. Say, do I reflect Jesus Christ to you? You see, that's hard. And it may be that they say, well, you know, there's this one area. Be prepared to accept the admonition because that's what we're called to do. But do so with a gentle spirit. Galatians chapter 6 reminds us of this as our final verse this morning. Brothers, if a person is overtaken in a fault or a sin or an offense, you who are spiritual, in that particular area is the wording, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself lest you will also be tempted, and then bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I'm not just your pastor. I desire to be a friend. I desire to be a burden bearer with you. Because when God comes back for all of his children, it's not Mark's kingdom that's being built. It's Christ's. And we must be about the Father's business. And to do that, we must be meek and gentle in heart, in soul, and in body. Let's pray. Father, being meek and gentle is probably not easy for any one of us. We get upset when somebody cuts us off in traffic or we get upset at our spouse or our children when they don't obey us as quickly as we want them to or maybe things are just going pear-shaped in our lives in such a way that maybe we come to the end of ourself. The truth is that the only way that we can all look is up. To look to the one who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, this meek person, the meek, gentle, gracious, sovereign shepherd, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Lord, I don't know what you're calling us to endure today or tomorrow or next month or next year. But whatever it is, help us to learn from that. Help us to strive to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be willing to come to a point in our lives where if there was a hundred soldiers and one of them stepped off the ice and recanted that we would find ourselves still among the 99. Lord, as we go from here today, may our hearts be encouraged with what your word has to say, the application that is found here, and that we will be more like Jesus Christ. 
We ask this in your precious name because you alone are worthy of our worship. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.